Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hello again, and welcome everybody to another Sports Pro Podcast. Uh, my name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're all very well. A um, couple of guests with me today. Delighted to have back with me uh, Sports Pro Editorial Director Michael Long. Hi, Mike. Hello, Owen. And uh, we have a very special guest for this one because it is a new member of the Sports Pro team, but you will know him best as the co-founder of Two Circles, uh, also a non-executive director at the English Institute of Sport, and as of the last couple of weeks, senior contributor and advisor to Sports Pro, Matt Rogan. Hi, Matt. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about what you're going to be doing, Matt, and what we can expect from you. Well, there we go. That's that's the big question. So I, I guess, as um, as you mentioned, I'm proud to have co-founded Two Circles. And with my, we were one of three amigos with Gareth and Claire, my wife, and myself, um, led the business as, as chief exec, then exec chairman, and now play a co-founder role. It's always changing the world of Two Circles. Um to continue to to play a support and challenge role there. Um, a couple of other non-exec directorships that I really enjoy, um, but I have a real passion for writing and content. Um, I wrote a book, literary degree, wrote a book in 2011 before the London 2012 Games, actually with my dad, um, and had a real itch that I wanted to start scratching again. And so delighted to be working with the sports pro team. Um, and I guess where we felt together it was the best place to focus was was just giving a bit of a sense of, of maybe what I've learned through the two circles journey learned through talking to organizations on an ongoing basis about how to weather the current storm um, that we're all facing and and not in terms of trends or deals or anything like that um, some of the macro economic stuff that you handle really well yourself Owen but it's more about how do I as a leader navigate the challenging times that, that I'm going through and so hopefully there'll be some pragmatic advice and, and, and things coming from me that I hope will be of use to, to as, as wide a sports pro audience as possible. We are going to start uh, by looking at a piece that you've done for the sports pro website and that is going to be concluded in the next issue of the sports pro magazine which i believe mike is 110 110 indeed yeah which uh you can all expect to see in in about the next month and that is looking at some of the um some of the things that you've noticed companies doing that others can learn from about how to how to weather the covid-19 storm basically some of the some of the best practices to fall back on what you've called your brilliant basics which um sounds uh Sounds a bit like a, a non-threatening dietary program, but I think is also a very pithy way of of addressing the the kind of things that companies need to be thinking about at this point. Yeah, I guess the um, the intention behind it was to, you know, in our industry right now, there's a everything is 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 so turbulent. I think there's a there's a general sense that we need to rewrite three year plans and and build long term strategic goals that address the new world. And frankly. I don't think it's the right time for any of that. I think I think currently we're in a world of of, of navigating the short term, um, probably looking six nine months forward. Everything's changing at a strategic governmental level, and so whichever country we're in, and so to that extent, it's really just a just a set of things I I, I think I've seen done really well across the industry and across geography 
just to help us manage in the short term and keep some continuity. As you've alluded to, this is a, this is the first piece um, of a series we've pulled together. So this one's just about keeping the wall from the door, managing in the short term, call it call it what you like. And then um, if organisations can can stay in that place um, successfully, then then in due course in, in the rest of the article, um, we'll get a little bit more into right how you set up, set yourself up and how you need to be brave um, to get through to, to whatever your sport might look like in two, three, four years time. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting and, you know, um, we, we actually spoke uh, to, to Gareth, your co-founder at Two Circles, about the kind of the trajectory of the sports industry in a macro sense, which is a difficult thing to predict in some respects because sports industry, while we've been playing sport for quite a long time, um, in most places as an industry, it's pretty young and there hasn't been anything like this. And even if you look back to to the Second World War, say, for something that was a complete stoppage, there isn't really anything you know, there wasn't really anything like the same kind of business around sport at that point. So there's no there's no reference point. But even then, like the comparison between the top line, how is the industry going to do is very different from what most people who work in it are going to be worried about, which is, you know, is my business going to going to, you know, going to survive this? Is my job going to survive this, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's um, certainly a valuable perspective to to offer. Um what were what was sorry karen i was going to say so you're right in that there's no direct comparator at all at least not in the sports industry you know one of the challenges i think the sports industry faces today is is that it reminds me a bit i'm old enough to have have kind of worked through the dot-com boom and bust and what you saw there was was organizations and companies staffed up and fueled up for growth because because growth was a constant and if you then shave anywhere near like what two circles i think rightly are predicting a 50 a 40 percent year-on-year decline in revenue and you're resourced up and tooled up for for growth then ultimately that business model doesn't work and very quickly unravels and, and so i think the the challenge we have here is is at a macro level we have to understand the macro because the way in which you manage a PL and the balance sheet if if that revenue growth num- growth decline number is twenty percent, it's completely different. If it's forty percent, um, so you have to understand the macro. But as you say, the reality of today is, you, you know, what what am I doing in terms of my furlough plan? What am I doing in terms of my team engagement? How much cash have I got in the bank? And so, the the real challenge for all business leaders today is to kind of say, okay, well, what's the macro environment? What are the scenarios I'm going to plan against? Because I can't possibly only credibly plan my business for one of these scenarios. But what does that mean for what I do on Monday morning at nine o'clock? And it's that that tension is 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 the most challenging thing I think for leading through this. I mean, let's just run through just before we get on with this conversation. We'll just run through these brilliant basics: um, scenario plan in real time, support and challenge internal teams, show less haste, more speed, get the tone of voice right, uh, and stay visible by being relevant. Sure. Well, I think the first one I, I touch on is a little bit like I was alluding to in, in, in my last comment is is actually just the live nature of that scenario planning. So um, it's no time for a three year business plan yet, I would I would suggest for, for most businesses. But it's absolutely time to have three scenario plans where, you, you know, either this, that or that are plausible scenarios for how my business is going to play out over the next three years. Uh, sorry, over the next three months. 
And that might be some sport, that might be no sport, that might be getting completely back to normal. And against that, this is the the cost I'm going to have in my business. This is the way I'm going to set my team up. This is what my operational plan is, my marketing plan is going to look like, and so on and so forth. And and effectively, you need to be parallel processing three live plans, I believe. You don't need nice strategy documents and 20-page and sort of strategic visions, but you do need a deeply pragmatic view of saying, okay, if this happens, this is how we're going to react. If this happens, this is how we're going to react. You know, when you have London Business, some of the people I talk to sort of at London Business School, um, I talked to Rebecca Honkes, for example, who's a, a lecturer there, and she said, look, you know, I'm a lecturer in strategy at London Business School. I can tell you um, this is no time for strategic plans. Nothing will be perfect, but we have to prepare for the different scenarios we're operating under. Um, and underneath that is just say, look, under each of these scenarios, what can I convince myself and therefore get confidence myself and therefore talk to my shareholders, therefore talk to my team that whatever happens, um, we can get this business through with enough cash flow to survive. It's kind of that simple, really. Yeah, I think that was um, just to move on to the second point, um, the second basic that you identify, Matt, which is about supporting and challenging internal teams. You speak there about team engagement, employee engagement and really kind of rallying the troops through a, through a crisis ultimately, I think, and, and ensuring that you've got the buy-in, um, you know, required to, to help kind of ride out this storm, really. I think it speaks to, you know, some of that macro stuff that we have been talking about in recent weeks about this sense of togetherness and unity that has come about within the industry. There's examples of it across multiple sports as well, but distilling that down to, onto, you know, a very focused business level uh, where you're ultimately as a business leader, whilst working remotely and you've got teams and people spread all over the place, you know, trying to, you know, keep that culture going, keep everyone pulling in the same direction, the importance of, of communication um, and showing empathy as well within all of that, you know, not being afraid to, to kind of challenge your teams to, to have frank conversations and tell it like it is, you know, face some of these challenges head on that we're experiencing. Um, but then throughout it all showing support as well and, and empathy and, you know, appreciation that, you know, sometimes, you know, whilst you are leading a business, perhaps it's the department heads or, you know, people on the front line, so to speak, who are actually, um, you know, innovating and, and delivering uh, value really for your business and the, and, the, and its clients. So I think it's, um, I think that was a great one. That's a, you know, speaks to, as I said before, you know, that, that kind of broader trend that we, we have seen in recent weeks, whether it, whether it lasts on a macro level, who knows, but uh, I think from a business level, it's absolutely key. It's, it's really well explained that, Mike. I mean, I think the hard reality is, um, and I count myself in this, that a lot of senior leaders in sport come from a different era of management when there was a lot more stick and a lot less carrot, when we had a lot of people at more junior levels of the organisation not given and not expecting any kind of sense of overall openness on company strategy or direction. And, and frankly, the way that the workforce generational shift in the workforce means that's just not sustainable anymore. You know, and and underneath that as well, um, given the challenging environment we're in, there's just no excuse for management teams to sit in their ivory towers, um, to hunker down on solutions themselves and then just go through a process of one-way communication with teams and expect them to be with you right behind you or right on Zoom as it is at the moment. You know, and frankly, they're too far away from the cold face to come up with the most pragmatic solution solutions anyway to some of the, the things that are going on at the moment. I really liked Jamie from from BT Sports 
um, contributions from the Sports Pro podcast, just sharing the sort of innovation going on in the individual teams to get themselves out of the scrape of, of trying to work out how to present the Bundesliga virtually. And the reality is solutions come from the teams. They don't come from the ivory towers. So this is this is absolutely no time for management diktat. This is um, time for kind of warts and all um, openness and communication with team members, frankly, at a level that most sports, speaking for agencies, but, but most sports organisations haven't shared before. You know, there will be hard messages around the fact that, that workforces can't be the same size they were 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Um, and... and the real importance here for, for senior leaders is is no surprise culture. So, you know, un- articulating to your teams the challenges you're having, some of the things you're trying to fix, encouraging their creativity around helping fixing those, but also being, you know, being very challenging of, of the hole that organisations need to get out of, but recognising, to your point, Mike, that support needs to come with that too. The best cultures... Uh, and best environments for managing in times like this with the generational workforce we have now, the best kind of paraphrase as being very high challenge, but very high support as well. High support and no challenge. You're modelly coddling people and you won't get through in the way you want to. High challenge and no support. Um, you'll be lucky if they're still there after these challenging times. Yeah, and I think the other point that, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've alluded to it there with uh, the size of teams Lots of teams are going to be going through a period where people are being furloughed and we might now be a couple of months and, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the UK terms of this. I know it, it takes on a different um, different character in, in different territories, but, you know, lots of teams will have people who've been retained as a core team and then there'll be people who are on furlough and you have to kind of be able to communicate why it is that certain people have been deemed essential because that can be, uh, you know... It, that, that can be detrimental to 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 the to the spirit of a team as well and you know there's ego comes into it and um insecurity comes into it and all kinds of other things when you're dealing with people and people i guess have to be able to redesign their own roles in order to get get things done under challenging conditions where you know the old ways of doing things are, are just not currently possible yeah that's absolutely right and um beyond the sort of common sense of an emotionally intelligent leader to think, okay, well, how do I rationalise furloughing decisions uh, for my team and so on and so forth, which which are fairly intuitive. The one thing that often gets missed in scenarios like this is is that survivor syndrome. So often you find with workforces in any sector that, that large lose, lose large swathes of, uh, of numbers, either temporarily or permanently, you get a lot of survivor guilt and people left in the organisations thinking, blimey, I better step up now or I've got to do four roles or I feel really bad because that person's not here anymore and that he or she was my best mate. And and those people need looking after too. And it's really easy to, to leave them behind in the overall thing. Um, but ultimately, they're the people you need to you need to double down and perform for you and helping them rationalise um, that there's nothing personal in the decisions that are made as well as nothing personally in the people you furloughed, it's hugely important and often overlooked. I mean, the next point that you make is, um, or, or the next basic that you identify is another one really that's about communication and about people understanding, you know, what, what part they're playing in a process, but it's more externally 
looking at how you communicate difficult decisions to partners, to customers or fans, and letting people know that that they're, they're you know, when things are better, they're going to be coming with you kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think it's worth taking a step back on this one. And just if, if one of the, the sort of silver linings, if you like, of um, of the current crisis we're going for is that I think general public has sort of started to dawn on them that stuff is making things happen in any walk of life is complicated. It's not that easy that sometimes just to create enough medical equipment to get in every hospital in the country overnight. It's not that easy to just invent a vaccine any more than it's really easy to to all of a sudden create a new sporting competition or work out what to do next with the ones you have. And so if I had a um, a criticism maybe of, of some sporting organisations, it, it would be perhaps they acted a little hastily in terms of making um, decisions on events that were a fairly long way out without just letting things settle and make some uh, take some more uh, time to make the right call. And then when you do communicate, be able to communicate with absolute clarity. So if I look at um, the IOC, if I look at Wimbledon, if I look at the ECB's handling of the 100, I think they're all good examples of, of organisations that were maybe taking a little bit of heat because it took them a little while in, in the media's eye and the public's eye to come up with a definitive call on what they were going to do. But when they when they did communicate, they communicated two or three levels worth of information in a really robust way and ultimately were able to bring athlete bases, supporter bases and things with them in those decisions. So if I speak personally for, for my experience as a punter buying tickets for my family on the 100, you know, I had a refund in my bank account almost the same day that the hundred communicated that that they were postponing for you. And it was just deeply impressive in the midst of all the complexity they had to go through. And I do think underneath that that sometimes um, on the back of the understanding, I think that probably more than more than ever before exists in the general public as some of the challenges of putting on global sporting events. Um, we sort of underestimated at times the amount of goodwill that might exist in in, in the public base. So, for example, um, the Insider Series podcast, that Insider um, Series um, event that I facilitated uh, a few weeks ago, the BBC tennis correspondent David Law was telling a story about his tennis podcast that's, that's completely crowdfunded um, very impressively. They have about 1,500 um, people who, who crowdfund that every year. And... Um, when they under the preserve that, that at each Grand Slam they do a live show every single day of the Grand Slams as well as a weekly update show, and obviously those are those are now broadly off the table. David told us a story where he said we had one and a half thousand subscribers to to, um, to fund the show, and when we said look, sorry, there's not going to be any live tennis, but but we're going to do this instead. This is the program of content. It's not quite as much, but we hope you're going to value it as much. Only one of 1,500 crowdfunders stepped back and said, okay, well, on that basis, I've quite put my money back. And I do think as an industry, we have an opportunity right now because there is more understanding of this challenge we're going through. And if we take our time, make considered decisions, communicate them well and clearly, I think there's more empathy for those perhaps than there has been for a long time in our industry. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's definitely a a balance to be struck. Obviously, you use the the IOC um, example there with the postponement of the Olympic Games. 
um, you know, that was perceived outwardly, you know, externally and within the media as a, you know, the IOC dragging their heels, buying themselves time, um, you know, it, it, very much in a negative sense. Whereas, you know, I think we all could appreciate that, you know, the challenge that that would, that, you know, the, the gravitas of that decision ultimately and, and the challenges that that would pose further down the line, the number of stakeholders that had to be dealt with before you can come to a decision and, the, you know, the political implications as well as of dealing with the, the the host government and things like that everything that goes into it but as you say i think um you know perhaps perhaps that does speak to you know the the, the way the ioc is traditionally communicated and the way it's come across and you know the public perception of that particular organization but um i don't know just thinking out loud really but i think it's um is, there is certainly a balance to be struck but i think one one of the things that comes across in your in your piece really is this um you know, this sense of pragmatism, this need to be realistic and just, you know, that's that's from the fan perspective, from sponsors and, and broadcasters showing an understanding of the difficulties, you know, that are involved in this current situation um, to the governing bodies and sports leagues themselves. I think everyone just needs to take a take a breather. There is this general clamour, you know, within the media and elsewhere to uh, or insistence upon immediacy and, and needing decisions to be made. Um, immediately and and at a time like this you know you don't you know a knee-jerk reaction isn't necessarily going to benefit you I suppose you look at the the French Football League and they're probably kicking themselves now ultimately having to cancel before you know perhaps um, the true extent of everything panned out and I think um, yeah I think taking a breather taking some time to kind of monitor and assess the situation is is surely a good thing and and um, those that have and gone about it in the in the right way and explain themselves very well. well we'll come out of this pretty well and have a you know i think fans are pretty understanding as you as you rightly say in your piece and, and receptive when they're you know not communicate you know communicated down to ultimately so as you say i think that comes with um a requirement of of sporting organizations in and of themselves just just to be a bit more candid you, you know to say well look you know we can do this whether it's, uh, I don't know, renewing a membership for a following year or giving a rebate on season tickets, whatever it might be. But the net impact on this, on our, our organisation, rightly or wrongly, might be that that we might not be able to pay payer salaries or that um, actually we we have an issue around whether we can be a going concern beyond the next 12 months. And I think as long as that's communicated openly and honestly with no hidden agendas, I, I think people will be very receptive to that. Um, I think generally the... The, the context we're all in as as businesses now is in the sports industry is just an expectation from the general public that we behave like adults. But I, I mean, it, you know, everyone has to um, provide a degree of um, openness to work in different ways to get stuff done. Just like Jamie mentioned, the BT team. I, I was interesting. I thought um, last week the amount of bite back uh, some professional tennis players who were suggesting they needed more than one person to accompany them to play a professional tournament. You know, sure, I'm, I'm sure you do in the, you know, in an ideal scenario, but but none of us are in an ideal scenario right now. And so I think if as long as organisations act in pragmatism, I think we've got a way forward. Yeah, and, and to that point, you know, pragmatism, realism, you know, authenticity as well. I know one of your points is getting the tone of voice right and you you rightly kind of, you pick out Wimbledon and the way they approached it. And, um, you know, that probably moves us on slightly, but in terms of external communication and being authentic, you know, uh, I think you use the example of Chelsea as well, of, of taking action in the, 
in the community and things um you know i think yeah bring bring fans in you know invite them in and, and bring them along along with you and show that you're you are kind of you know struggling through this muddling through this as as we all are i think that's gonna you know and, and it's right to be right to be wrong you know we've seen in recent days um well, it's okay to be wrong. We've seen and 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 accept that. We've seen UK politicians in recent days just uh, you know um, performing a U-turn, having d- dug their heels in on a on an issue that clearly um, you know has has caused a lot of uh, feeling within the public sphere. And I think it's um, you know if you apply that to sports organisations, you know now of all times is to. It, in a in a crisis, this is the the time that you you listen to your fans, you 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 monitor, you know, the the sense of feeling, the sentiment that there is out there on social media and things, and and make sure you are, you know, that you're not tone deaf and you're getting your own tone of voice right. I think it's um it's the fundamentals, isn't it? It's it's getting back to basics. Really, I think it's a it's a bare minimum to do that kind of stuff on an ongoing basis, anyway, crisis or no crisis. Yeah, it's it's editorial. It's a, it's a really tough balance, isn't it? Because on one level you have to recognize that sport is a relatively insignificant part in a in in what's going on in our world right now and yet at the same time you need to recognize it, it is one of the remaining solaces for a lot of people having a very tough time and you so you've got to kind of navigate that balance and that's why i thought for me the most powerful piece of content um was wimbledon's which was a piece that um came out just after the cancellation recognizing that um actually the cancellation of a tournament in the general scheme of of mid lockdown where we were um was not that important but having roger federer voice it and express his dismay at the the fact that the event was cancelled too it was just kind of getting that 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 balance i think is 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 complex and really difficult the most frustrating moment i've seen through the whole thing was um, actually, something that the way back when I was involved in, I, I was heavily involved in one of the early series of footballers' cribs through an earlier part of my life at MTV when glitzy walks behind music stars and sports stars' homes, as opulent as they were, was was very of the moment. Um, seeing MTV announce uh, another series of footballers' cribs at the moment, albeit delivered virtually, I thought was about as inappropriate and missing the public mood as as anything I've seen compared to, as you notice, as you mentioned, you know, um, sports stars of all different walks of life starting to play very influential and appropriate roles and getting the tone of voice right across the world, given some of the challenges we've got. So, yeah, I wasn't very proud of my MTV background over the course of the last uh, few weeks for that reason. But I think the other thing was um, the other thing that comes to mind was that video that was played probably the f- when in most countries would have been in the first couple of days of lockdown or or just approaching it or perhaps slightly further on in a couple of cases. But that video of all the celebrities singing, imagine, you know, one line each in various keys, which um, was was quite a cringy moment, but also just kind of divorced from any context. And I think one of the things that was interesting about the way Wimbledon approached uh, their cancellation and the way others have done as well is that it's that appreciation of, okay, this moment is very big, but for a lot of people, this is going to be the context in which they process how big a moment this is, that Wimbledon is cancelled. It's the first time in peacetime that that's ever happened. And, you know, that's a big part of people's summer that they will have been marking around. I think it was something I 
quoted in a column the other week, which is um, uh, Rory Smith, who writes for the New York Times, uh, but is based in the UK, made the point that, you know, the British summer is kind of demarcated around some of these major events. It's a big cultural thing that, you know, Wimbledon is at the end of June, Glastonbury is just before you're running through like test cricket and everything and until uh, the Edinburgh Festival at the end of August. And that's how lots of people will have processed their lives over the next few months. And that's gone. So suddenly you are aware of how adrift you are. And I think that the the rights holders and, and the partners who managed to get their head around that and think that while this isn't a big moment, sorry, while this isn't a big deal in the context of the people who are suffering and the people who are uh, who are sadly losing their lives, it's a poignant note for a lot of people. Uh, absolutely, and uh, to their great credit, in in um, UK yesterday, I thought Sky did a fantastic job of 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 pulling that social context very appropriately back into the the return of the Premier League. Um, felt like it got the balance really nicely between reflecting the excitement of the sport coming back, but also the broader context within which it operated. And there were some little things I thought in that. Um, you know, the fact that there weren't crowds there meant there was more focus on the players, actually. Some of the things the players were going through and have been going through. Less focus on the pundits again and more on, on, on the actual action and more on the fans at home watching. A lot of things, I think, that will have a resonance way beyond, one would hope, the end of the pandemic. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. The final point that you make is is that organisations have done very well by staying visible. Um, what what are what are some of the things that that you've noticed there? That's visible by being relevant. I think. Yeah, we we sort of started to touch on that. I, I think I have to say um, over the course of the last few months, um, footballers' cribs notwithstanding, I, I think sports organisations in general that I've noticed have done a very good job of of actually not just being there for the sake of being there, not tweeting out Black Lives Matter with a with nothing other than a sort of a black screen on a tweet, as we've seen a lot of brands outside of the sports industry do, but tangibly support the broader efforts going on, whether it's, as you say, Chelsea um, providing facilities and food deliveries and things, providing their hotel free of charge, you know, things like that going on from, from sports organisations up and down the country, often, by the way, without any loud fanfare. And I think that's the important thing is, is you know, some of the things that have been going on, you know, you've almost had to had to chance upon. Um, I was speaking to somebody this morning from um, from Opro Mouthguards who make mouthguards for rugby and, and hockey and so on. And and they were telling me they've retold their retooled their whole factory to make um, to make PPE and they just hadn't really made anything of it because it just felt like the kind of thing that, that an organisation that had the capability to do it should be doing. And I just think that's, I'm really proud of the way the sports industry has gone about this, which is which is not great fanfare, but just being staying visible, but doing so in a very relevant and probably quite toned down way. 
I think it's um, it talks really well to the kind of role sport can play going forward in terms of being a tangible, positive, constructive force in in society. And you know, having watched the headlines in in both sides of, of the UK and and the United States over the last few days, you know, I believe more in, than ever that that's going to be one of the the upsides coming out of the challenges we're currently facing. I think one of the things that's really interesting about this point is. Yes, it was great for teams and um, and manufacturers like um, Opro and you know and other other organisations to think about how they could help in an emergency. But what's interesting now, particularly particularly for the next eighteen months, when we we think we're going to be still you know working through unconventional times, but even beyond that, I guess it can serve as a kind of an audit. What assets do we actually have? What skills do we actually have? Um, what links do we actually have to communities and to to other groups? Absolutely right, and uh, and also um, as well as that, I think you know what what capabilities do we have in our own organisations as a result of completely retooling them on no notice that might have kind of broader opportunity for us going forward? You know, I heard Dale Brailsford from um, from Ineos and, and previously. Team Sky cycling teams um, talk a, a couple of days ago about the role of, uh, you know, Ineos had started to provide um, hand sanitizer from large parts of their organisation um, the, and that had switched them on to the fact actually there might be a commercial offer going forward in terms of sort of health and safety provision in sport because they saw that as a good big sector going forward, you know. So, so in a lot of ways, I, I think it's an audit of, of what your organisation currently provides to society. And if it doesn't currently provide it, might it? You know, we have up and down this country and an inordinate, in, in England, an inordinate number of um, uh, very strong facilities in the middle of um, urban conurbations in football and rugby and cricket clubs that lay empty for, let's say, 11 months out of 12 on average. You know, if we're not talking about conferencing and events, what other things might those facilities that have catering, that have all sorts of other things, that have retail capability and so on, what might they actually be able to do in a much more holistic way to contribute back to society that also helps balance the books a little bit. Hopefully, some organisations have had their eyes opened a little bit to some of the assets that, that previously they've taken for granted. Yeah, I think um, it's something that will come to light in your in your uh, second piece for us, uh, Matt, in terms of, uh, I won't go into it too much, I don't want don't to spoil it for anyone listening or reading, but um, I think that uh, notion of looking beyond beyond the bubble really for for inspiration um you know organizations in sport leaders in sport really you know taking the leaf out of other, other industries other you know areas of society that you know experience similar or very different challenges but um and and evaluating you know supply chains and things like that and just just being more open more open-minded to to uh, seeing where sport fits into the to the broader landscape of things, but also vice versa, and what, you know what uh, sport can learn from other other kind of yeah, areas of society. I think it's uh, it's certainly a really interesting uh, subject for anyone leading a business. You, you can't do this in 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 your own bubble or in isolation or anything like that. No, no, not at all. And and I guess you, you're right. You know that's for that's for another day. I think probably the main message for the short term is. Um, it's amazing how many businesses I talk to in sport 
today still and I say well how's the business and they'll say revenues are looking this or the funnel looks like that and and that's not how the business is that's how one component of the business is how's the business today is how's your cash how are your customers and how are your people and if you do nothing but focus the next six months on those three things you're not going to go that far wrong yeah looking as you say it's um you know this looking beyond the bubble is something that is an ongoing thing but it's perhaps something for another day i think we've got to you know weather this storm initially and i think uh you know matt as i said before i don't want to don't want to spoil it uh, for the listeners, but you'll you'll be getting into that um, in due course in in our next magazine and over the coming months. I think uh, you know this is exactly why we wanted uh, to get you on board. We we're very keen to get you on board to kind of bring this real practical advice for for running you know a better business um, in future. You know today and and tomorrow really. I think you know as we said at the top of the the episodes. You know we started this discussion. We we often talk about trends and, and patterns and deals and the macro stuff, but I think, you know, you're you're able to really kind of bring bring this back to to terra firma, you know, grounding us in the specifics of of the nuts and bolts of what's required to to get through this. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, not to not to spoil it, but I know uh, you're you're um, you're very much uh, um, encouraging business leaders, let's say, in the sports industry to look. To 2022 and beyond, Matt. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that without giving too much away. Yeah, yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head. Really, I, th- I think one of the things that business leaders need to do is take the pressure off themselves in terms of thinking about rejigging three-year plans or anything like that. Right now, it's about hunkering down for the short term, focusing on those three things. Really, it's kind of cash, customers, and employees getting through the next six months, and then the next staging post. I would suggest is is thinking once you're comfortable, you settle, once you've picked your one of three scenarios for the for the midterm, just thinking about how what might look different in your market in 2022. Don't even worry about 2021. 2021 for all of us is going to be a staging post to move from the current challenges to what we want our future organizations to look like. It's a it's a passing through zone if you like. So take comfort in in focusing on the short um the short term right now. And over time, once you get more settled, then it starts getting a little bit more towards, okay, well, what might our, how might our industry look different in 2022? How do we get beyond the bubble to understand how other industries might look? And, and how do we move forward in this new world? And how brave do we need to be to get there? All right. Well, I think that's a, a great note to finish on. Um, Matt, thanks very much for your time today. We look forward to seeing what we can get out of you now in, in the future. But everybody... Um, I would strongly encourage to check out uh, Matt's piece on sportspromedia.com and the one to follow in issue 110 of the magazine. I guess all that leaves us with is to to thank you for your time, Matt. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the next time. And uh, to thank Michael Long as well. Cheers, Owen. And thanks to you as well, Matt. Great to have you on board. And to thank all of you for listening. We'll obviously have a couple more podcasts coming out in the next week. Um, And do be sure to check out the Sports Pro Insider series, uh, which there'll be one happening this week as it's coming out. But yeah, just keep an eye on sportsproinsiderseries.com to see what you could be joining in with. Um, And we'll speak to you again very soon. Bye bye. The Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 